Let's get a little bit more of an expert opinion and an expert analysis on all of this. Zach Binney is an epidemiologist from Oxford College at Emory University. And uh, Zach is kind enough to join us right here. Zach, I'm Jason Ross along with Doug Christie. How are you? Good on the sliding scale that we're all grading ourselves on right now. How are you? Uh, we're good, too. Uh, l- let's just jump into it. Doug and I started the show talking about the, the two latest names, uh, two big names. One, uh, Novak Djokovic from tennis. We also have Nikola Jokic from the NBA, both testing positive. Um, this, is, this isn't new, obviously, Zach. A lot of people worldwide are testing positive. How about just the sports opportunities to get back up and running? How likely do you think this is, almost on a case-by-case basis per sport, of, of getting fully back up and running with COVID out there? Yeah, just like you said, it, it really is a case-by-case basis, and there are some sports with uh, what I think are stronger return plans and some with, with weaker ones. Uh, I think the NBA is, is definitely one of the stronger, if not the strongest plan, uh, alongside Major League Soccer and uh, the NHL. Uh, MLB's plan, I definitely have a lot of concerns about because the last we heard of that plan, uh, they were going to try to play in home markets and have players live at home. And we've already seen uh, how that can go wrong at the Phillies spring training complex down in Clearwater, where they had uh, about a dozen cases and had to shut down. Uh, The Blue Jays also had to shut down their facility. So we've already seen that sort of working on the honor system and, and advising players uh, not to go out to bars. Uh, if you're in an area with a lot of virus, that can um, that can still get in and have an explosive outbreak and shut you down. So, uh, you know, as far as the NBA goes, I if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said I thought their plan had maybe an 85% chance of working. Uh, I thought it was really good, really strong. I, I was very impressed. Um, their major Achilles heel is that it's in Florida, and unfortunately Florida has taken a, a very bad turn for the worse. Uh, over the last couple of weeks. So now, you know, maybe 65-35, if you had to ask me, in favor of it uh, of it still working. Uh, it's a good plan, but uh, with the amount of virus in Florida, that just magnifies any weaknesses. And uh, and if a case gets into the bubble there, uh, they, they could be in some trouble. You know, Zach, as you break that down with the NBA's plan, uh, Jason and I have talked, and I said that maybe it would be in the best interest of the NBA to make sure all the workers and helpers, meaning that not the, the who the NBA brings with them, but you know, maids, cooks, uh, mm-hmm. anybody that's going to be dealing with uh, inside of that. Do you think that that would solidify it and maybe up your percentage if they quarantine those people on site as well? I do think uh, at this point it would solidify it a little bit. It would give them a little more slack, I guess, or a little more runway with how bad things could get. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, actually. If you had asked me a couple of months ago, could you have a bubble without the housekeepers and food service staff, I would have said no way. But as we've learned more about the virus, we've learned that this person-to-object-to-person transmission, where, say, I'm standing over a table, Doug, and I cough, on it and then you touch it Mm -hmm. and then touch your face that can absolutely transmit COVID-19 but that doesn't seem to be a very common thing that happens it's mostly this face-to-face respiratory droplet spread so if you can eliminate face-to-face contact which you know I think the NBA was arguing rightly uh, you can do with housekeepers by not having them go into the rooms when people are there and food service staff by having uh, only takeout meals and things like that I thought it was okay to exclude them from the bubble and just make sure they're wearing masks and don't have face-to-face contact and um, 
are screened for symptoms. I thought that was enough. But that was when the baseline chance of one of them getting sick was fairly low. Now it's higher in Florida, so so that's more dangerous. You, you know, Zach, we, we've heard so many different things. And before I was talking to Jason about, you know, when you talk about six feet, and maybe you can explain to us and, and our listeners, when you talk about six feet, keeping social distancing and things, it, I heard that the virus is heavy. So in six feet, it drops to the ground, but it said that it can also hover in the air. Can you maybe just clarify what it actually does. Right. So the two important things for people to understand is that six feet is a useful rule of thumb, but it's not like if I'm five feet, 11 inches away from you, I'm in the danger zone. And if I'm six foot one inch away, uh, I'm invincible, right? It's all a continuum. So the further away I can stay from you, the less likely any respiratory droplets, which you produce even just talking as we are now, you produce those and and spray those out of your mouth. And depending on their size, the smaller ones can travel a little bit further or hang in the air a little bit longer, while the bigger droplets uh, tend to drop a little bit quicker. So the key is longer distance is better. And especially for sports, the important thing to understand for, say, fans is that if you're cheering, singing, chanting, yelling, screaming, those all produce way more respiratory droplets that travel farther. So I don't think that being a cheering fan in the stands six feet apart keeps you safe. Mm-hmm. I think there, you know, you might be talking 25 or 30 feet. Interesting. Zach Benny joining us, epidemiologist from Oxford College of Emory University. So, Zach, just the, the sports in general. So let's we'll stick with basketball. I'm sure they're going to do all the testing they possibly can. But the the physical contact, the the, you know, yelling to switch your man. I mean, you're, you're just you're around people. You're in close contact. You're touching people. There's sweat. What kind of risks are involved there? Right. So in basketball and football and hockey, uh, close contact is not a thing that you can avoid on the court. And, uh, you know, this is something to keep in mind for, say, rec league uh, basketball players, where basketball is one of the things, especially if you're having to play it indoors, that I I would recommend avoiding right now if you can. Uh, When it comes to the pros, though, that is why – All of these upfront steps, like sequestering in a bubble, daily testing to catch cases as soon as they occur, all of that is designed to keep cases off the court. And as long as you can have assurances that everybody on the court is healthy, Mm -hmm. right, then you can get as close and have as much contact and sweat all over each other, and there's no risk of transmitting COVID-19. So that's why you can't really do much once guys get on the court. That's why you got to do all this work before they get on the court, which is the focus of the NBA's plan. You know, Zach, earlier you mentioned 25 to 30 feet in the stands. And we have talked about the fact, and we've heard it, it started with the SEC, I believe. No, it was Ohio State we heard when they're talking about 100,000, you know, fan or uh, coliseum and maybe having it 25% full, 50% full. When, when you kind of do the math on that, when you're talking 25 to 30, what, what kind of numbers to a building like that do you think are even possible safely? Zero. Mm, wow. I'll be completely blunt. Zero. I don't want to see any fans back at sporting events until we have a vaccine. I don't think it's worth it. I think every step that we take back towards normality has a risk and a benefit associated with it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, we never shut down grocery stores. 
there's a risk with going to a grocery store, but I was going to it weekly, even at, uh, at the height of things right. here in Georgia, because there was a benefit associated with it. I got food. Okay. I think that there's an argument to be made for bringing sports back without fans, because there are psychological benefits, social benefits. It uh, gives something people to do at home. Uh, it lets people see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think there's a real argument to be made for that because you can do that <clears throat> while if you have a strict plan, not increasing the risk to player and public health. You lose me when you start talking about fans because then it's a purely monetary thing for the owners and the leagues, and it adds an enormous amount of risk. Because even if I don't go to the game, I don't know that the people I'm going to the grocery store with didn't go to the game. There's no way for me to protect myself. So you're just creating this massive extra public health risk only for money, and I don't care for it. So with that said, we'll assume that that is the parameter, no fans. Do you think football happens, college and pro this year? Those are two different questions. I think the NFL has a very real shot uh, of happening this year. I really do. Um, It's going to depend on what their ultimate plan is, and they've still got a little bit of time, so we're still waiting for details on that. Um, I think some sort of sequestering, at least in home markets, maybe not doing the full NBA bubble for the entire season, but say each team having a campus of a, a couple of hotels and the team's facilities in the home markets uh, would be a good idea, uh, given the amount of spread that's occurring in at least some markets like, uh, you know, Arizona and Texas and and Florida, which is home to quite a few teams. Uh, So I think you can have the NFL with their resources put together a plan. College, I am a lot more skeptical about, both because the resources are less. um, You can't isolate the athletes from the rest of a college campus. And so there's going to be a lot of contact. You can't create a bubble. And if there are a lot of cases in the town where you are, they're going to be on campus and your athletes are going to get sick. And I don't think you could test frequently enough to stop that from causing an extensive outbreak within your team. And if that happens, you're going to have to shut down for some period of time. And if that happens to enough teams, it's going to disrupt the entire college football season. So I'm I'm unfortunately pessimistic based on the number of cases that we're seeing in this country right now. I don't take that as pessimistic, Zach. Actually, mm-hmm. I take it as optimistic because you're trying to make sure everybody's safe. Uh, well, that's fair. Yes. <laughs> um, w- explain the 14-day quarantine. So it, it, am I to understand or, or take away from a 14-day quarantine that if, if I had COVID and for 14 days I quarantined, do, does the – does the virus die? And that's why I'm able to resume uh, going out in public and doing um, the things that I would like to do. That's a fantastic question, Doug. And let me separate a couple of issues because I think this has been confusing for people. The 14 day quarantine is from when you think you might have been exposed. So if we don't know that you're sick yet, we kind of have to wait about two weeks to see if you develop symptoms or test positive because it can take that long for the virus to develop and finally rear its head. This is one of the insidious things about this particular virus is it can hide for a while and then suddenly show itself as opposed to, you know, you get infected and the next day you show really obvious symptoms. That doesn't happen here. So that's why we have to wait 14 days if we think you might have been infected. Mm -hmm. If you test positive, Uh, The actual current guidance that I've heard uh, from a lot of health experts is you can wait 10 days or 
three days after your symptoms resolve. So 10 days if you don't show any symptoms. Otherwise, wait until they resolve and then plus three days. And then we think it's safe for you to go back out because the virus resolves in that time. And interestingly, even if you still test positive after that, we think it's probably dead virus or just fragments of virus. Uh So it doesn't really matter whether you test negative or positive after that time. If you wait that long, we can let you go. Uh, But the two-week quarantine is about if you might have an exposure. So that's why if there's an outbreak on a team, you have to shut it down for two weeks because any time in that two weeks, somebody could show up as a case. Uh So I don't know if you've followed New Zealand, but they had a rugby match. And from from my understanding and our board op, Chris, he he follows it uh, really thoroughly, is that – they eradicated it in in their country. Now I don't know if there's had because they had a game and there was twenty thousand people and just like a regular game and they were hollering screaming and it, it, right side by side. Uh, it, is that a possibility or for us an impossibility because we weren't disciplined enough to do something like that? Bingo, you got it. <laughs> it's an impossibility for us because we weren't disciplined <laughs> enough to to take the early and aggressive and sustained steps that New Zealand did. I mean, they're quarantining everybody for two weeks when they return to the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have zero or near zero domestic cases happening right now. Wow. We have 30,000 a day. Mm. Uh, and in some states, it's it's getting completely out of control. Uh, no, unfortunately, we're not at that stage. We're not close to it. And uh, uh, sorry to say, I, I don't see it happening in the foreseeable future. Um, I wish it, you know, we still could. I I wish it would happen. We still need to up our testing and contact tracing, but but we would really probably need in most areas another extended shutdown to really drive the virus down to the levels that New Zealand and South Korea and Taiwan and Vietnam got to and then take our foot up off the gas. Instead, we took our foot off the gas when there was – when there was still quite a bit of virus. And so that's why we're still seeing a lot of it right now. What does, what does something like that shutdown look like from your perspective, like time-wise? That's really hard to say. And I also hesitate to give a time because okay. it's not about a time. It's not about saying if we can do this for eight weeks, we're done. It's about watching the number of cases and watching that fall. And it's about getting that to a very low number of cases, however long that takes. Uh, I can say it's probably a period of months rather than weeks or years, Mm. but I really don't want to get more specific than that. Last thing for you, Zach, is great information you're giving us too here, by the way. Um, Where are we on the the vaccine then? You said that uh, that would be the only real time you would trust to have fans back. Where do you think we are uh, present day with a vaccine? Uh, I think still we're hopeful for it in mid to late 2021. That's what Dr. Fauci said today was uh, by the end of 2021, that would be, that feels like forever to people, but this is light speed for vaccine development. I mean, this is way faster. The previous record was four years. Okay. So this is shattering that by more than 50%. Um, I'm hopeful that we can do that. We have some good plans in place. Uh, I actually do happen to think that, uh, uh, you know, some of the things that the federal government is doing here in terms of paying companies to manufacture the vaccine uh, before they know that it works is actually a good idea here. And if it doesn't work, we'll dump it out. And if it does, uh, great, we have it. That'll save some time. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we'll be able to see that. But, uh, you know, again, only time will tell. 
Zach, thank you so much. That was really good information. We appreciate it, and uh, take care and stay safe. Absolutely. You guys, too. It was a pleasure. Take care. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. That's uh, Zach Benny. He's a really good follow on Twitter, too. Z-Benny, B-I-N-N-E-Y, underscore N-F-L-I-N-J, like NFL injuries. He, he does stuff on that, too. He's all over this stuff.